Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, so right off the bat, I want to answer two questions. Uh, one was a question that Max posed to me back in the Century Room as we were leaving the house. And he said, Dad, are you going to cry again this morning? <laughs> and the answer to that is, I already have. So yes, yes. And in fact, he's asked me that every Sunday for several months or, or several weeks now. And the second question I'm answering is a question that I think some of our members started asking about 15 years ago, uh, and that is, does he even own a suit anymore? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Mostly you will see it when there's a, a funeral or a wedding, but occasionally a special occasion. I still left the tie off, and that's going to bother some of you, and that's that's okay. We've learned to love each other in the midst of that, even so. Um, so this has been a challenging sermon to plan for, for all kinds of reasons. And one is, if, if I was honest, I, I'm tempted to just get up here and spend my whole time thanking people individually. But there's a challenge to that, and one is there's no way you can get it all done in one sermon, and then it becomes like one of those Academy Awards acceptance speeches that goes on and on and on, and eventually the praise team would start singing, trying to get me to, to go off, and so I'd just start talking louder, and then they would sing louder, and it'd become awkward, and there's at least one person in here who wants to come up and slap me in the middle, and I've I don't want that. You can save that for afterward. And so I'm, we're, we're just handling our, our thanks and gratitude individually. And the second challenge is that we've been in the middle of a series looking at the sayings of Jesus from the cross. And this morning was going to be the final saying of Jesus, which was fitting for this morning. Father, into your hands I commit, I commend, I entrust my spirit. Which when you look at the life of Jesus, you realize that's not just something he does at the very end. He's able to do it at the end because he's lived a life doing that every day. Entrusting, committing, commending his life, his spirit, his essence, all that he is to God. And, and that would have been an appropriate conclusion, but it was about a month ago now that the leadership team was meeting on a Saturday and we were talking and praying and dreaming and discerning about next steps for the church. And the first thing we did in that meeting is we spent some time dwelling in the Word, just meditating on 2 Corinthians 4. And it was in the middle of that time of meditation that it hit me. That's the passage I preached on my very first sermon on sep in September of 2003. Of course, those of you who were here for that first sermon, I don't have to tell you, you remember well the details of that first sermon. I thought we might go around and just share a few of you who were here from that sermon almost 
19 years ago. Uh, Craig, you can kick us off. I'm sure you've got some memories. Others of you, John Crabtree, he's, he's helping out, but he's got some memories he's ready to share of, of those sermons. In fact, the rest of you no doubt have other sermons from, from the last almost 19 years. Okay, you know I'm joking because I know you don't remember any details from that sermon. I don't remember any details from that sermon except I preached that passage. The reality is that sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone and they'll say, hey, do you remember two months ago when you said, and my response is, well, that sounds like something I might have said. That, in fact, that sounds kind of good. I ought to write that down. That's, that's nice. No, I, I, don't, I don't remember 19 years ago. I don't, I don't often remember all the details from two months ago. That's kind of the way sermons go. Uh, but my, my hope and my prayer has been that for the, I don't know, speaking of numbers, for the 800 to 900 sermons that I've preached and the 1,500 classes and small groups and all of those sorts of things that I've taught, in, in the midst of all of that, one, I can say that this church has been enormously supportive and encouraging and uplifting, whether every sermon or lesson deserved the encouragement that you offered or the praise that you offered. Not that every sermon evoked the same kind of reaction from every single person, I can honestly say that in all that time, I've always given my best, but, you know, your best, it, it comes and, and it goes. But what, I've ho what I hope I have conveyed is that whether you've thought it was the best or a little bit lower than the best, whether you've always loved what I've done or said or it's fallen short sometimes, what I hope I've conveyed is that it's never ultimately been about me. My highs or my lows, my strengths or my weaknesses, which brings us to 2 Corinthians 4. You see, we, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars, earthen vessels containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So I've been here about a year in the summer of 2004, 
And it was after the service, I was in the foyer, and that's when a guest, first-time guest, an older woman, sought me out. And I introduced myself, I knew she was a guest, and she proceeded to tell me that her and her husband, and I noticed her husband was standing about five feet behind her, and he was just kind of looking down while, while she talked with me. And she said, we drove an hour this morning just to hear you. She had gone to, her and her husband, to the lectures at Pepperdine uh, a little bit earlier. And I had been at those lectures, and I spoke at those lectures, although she hadn't heard me, but she had heard two of the people who had taught me, former professors. And she heard them, and she was so impressed with them and the job that they did, where I got my master's in divinity, and at the time I was still in the middle of working on my doctorate in ministry, and she was so impressed with them. And then she read in the paper about this uh, preacher who was now working here in West Little Rock, who had studied where they taught. And so she decided, we're going to drive an hour to come and hear you. And I thought... Go on. <laughs> of course you did. And so she asked me. She said, so is that how you preach every Sunday? See, now you're hearing something in that question that I didn't hear at first. To me, she's asking, and it's like, do you preach that way every Sunday? And that's kind of a tricky question to ask a preacher, especially when you can tell she is clearly smitten by uh, my, my preaching, understandably so. And the, the challenge with preaching and teaching is you don't always know how it's received. From lesson to lesson to Sunday to Sunday, you don't know, you can't tell. And so you, you pray and you study and you reflect and you meditate and, and my process, I, I write it down and then I read over it and I keep working and I keep reading over it and eventually you get up and then you trust that God is going to work in some way that you may or may not see from week to week, from month to month, from year to year, you, you lay it out and you trust and sometimes the sermons that I've felt are the absolute strongest, the absolute best, are, are met with crickets and yawns and a few people uh, with sleep. And I know who you are, and you know who you are, but I've, I've kept your name anonymous. I've never called you out. Now, Bryce might call you out. I don't know. I, you, you know, you're, you, may, you may have to cut that out, except for the babies. I've been told I've, I'm really strong at putting babies to sleep. And sometimes the, the sermons where I thought, I've worked my best, I've done my best, I'm going to lay it out there, but it's not my favorite. And then sometimes they get the biggest reaction. You, you never know. But she asked, so it's, is that how you preach every Sunday? And, well, let me just say, there's some sermons you, you don't know. But with this Sunday, that sermon... I don't want to brag, but uh, 
you know, I, I knew it was a home run. If you, if you ever watch a baseball game and you see a batter and the moment they swing and they connect with the ball, they know. And everyone knows that ball is gone. It's not just clearing the fence. It's tape measure time. It's not just gone. It's how far is it gone? And I crushed it that morning right? It was a no-doubter. You try not to just stand back and, and, you know, observe it. That's not good baseball etiquette. So you gotta, you got to be humble. So she asked, so is that how you preach every Sunday? And I, you know, I've got to be, got to be humble. I'm thinking, yeah, it was, it was good, wasn't it? But, but I, I demurred and I, I hemmed and I hawed a little bit. I, I all shucks it and I was like, well, you know, that's, that's pretty indicative of, of what I do. I, I guess it represents, you know, what you're going to see every Sunday. And she said, well, that's disappointing. We drove all this way, and I was hoping for something more like, and then she mentioned the, true, the two professors that she had heard. And that's when it hit me. I don't think she's about to pay me a compliment. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I don't think she was all that fond of my sermon. She might not have been all that fond of me, come to think of it. We don't preach ourselves. We're just servants of Christ. But we have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars, earthen vessels, containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Okay, I actually find that story really funny. But I do know one person who always loves it when I preach, or at least uh, used to. And some of you have heard me tell this, this story before, but that is our daughter, Anna, who's 18, about to graduate. Paige was pregnant with Anna when we got here, which puts everything in perspective. But when she was three, we were sitting over in this section, right over in there, and it was communion time. And Anna was snacking, and she was playing, and she was singing. And this Sunday, she happened to be singing the songs that the rest of us were singing, which is always a bonus for a three-year-old, that they're not singing a Disney song while the rest of us are, are singing church songs. And in the middle of communion, I look over at her, and she looks up at me, and she's, she's got this urgency in her eyes. And she whispers, but a three-year-old whisper, which is really loud, go preach. I'm like, my three-year-old? not only knows what I do for a living, my three-year-old has developed a real taste for it. 
You know, like a real hunger, a real affinity for it. Go preach. Bring them the word, Daddy. You can do it, Daddy. She didn't say any of that. That was what was playing through my head. All she said was, go preach. And I look over at Paige, and pride is filling my face. And I smile, and I said, did you, did you hear what Anna just said? She's begging me to go preach. And Paige smiled back at me, and I thought it was a smile of pride. And it turns out it was pity. Because she looked at me and she said, Anna has been begging to go home for 10 minutes now. And I told her, not until after Daddy preaches. And one more time, as if on cue, Anna said, go preach. And then it hit me. I don't think my three-year-old is interested in hearing me preach at all. I think maybe she just wants me to get on with it uh, so she can get on with her day. But that's okay. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. We, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars, earthen vessels, containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our great power is from God not from ourselves. So throughout the Old Testament, you may have noticed that there is a metaphor to describe humanity. And the metaphor is that we are like clay, shaped into earthen vessels, into pots. And sometimes that metaphor is a reminder that we are not the potter. We are the clay. We are shaped and formed beautifully made, but made, not the maker. And sometimes it's a reminder that humans, despite being made in the image of God, are also fragile and finite. So when archaeologists excavate ancient cities like Corinth, to whom Paul is writing, or ancient cities all over the world, one of the most common man-made items found is clay pots and bowls and containers of all kinds. Metal was too expensive, but Clay, earth, soil, it's, it's everywhere. And so some people might fancy it up, they might paint it, they might design it, they might decorate it, but the rich and the poor, they all have access to it. And do you know what man-made items Archaeologists come across far more 
than clay pots and bowls. Pieces of clay pots and bowls. Just shards and shards of what once was but could not last. Let's talk about this from a different angle for just a moment. A few years ago, Paige and I were in London and we visited the London Tower. And when you go to the London Tower, the Tower of London, you know that at some point you're going to have to go and visit the famous crown jewels. And if you go to see the crown jewels, there are some things that will happen and some things that won't happen. So you won't see these priceless historic relics in large Tupperware containers on folding chairs in the middle of the lawn where executions have been taking place for hundreds of years there at the Tower of London. And you won't have the chance, average Joes like me and you, to grab a crown and put it on and take a selfie. What will happen if you want to see the crown jewels is you're going to stand in a long line. And you're going to go through security checkpoints. And uh, you're going to see guards and you're going to see cameras and it's going to be a light-controlled and temperature-controlled area. And when you finally see the jewels, you won't get to see the jewels just unabated. You will see them behind bulletproof glass and from a distance. Because when you have something priceless like that, you give them the white glove treatment. You guard it and you protect it. And you only bring it out for very special people on very special occasions. Unless you're God. And then the light of God's glory and gospel is handed out Oprah style. You get a treasure, you get a treasure, you get a treasure, everybody gets a treasure. This priceless gift in me, in you, even though we're no velvet lined, fortified storehouse. We're beautiful but breakable, fabulous but finite, fearfully and wonderfully made, but made, not the maker, and still the image of God is stamped on you. The treasure of God's plans and God's purposes is given to you. The message and mission fueled by God's love and by God's redemption is entrusted 
to you. And in all of our highs and in all of our lows, the real treasure, the great power is always God's. So there's a lot as I look back almost over 19 years that I am proud of. And uh, the people who spoke up the hill a little earlier, they alluded to some of this, all the meaningful conversations I've had with you. In times counseling I've had with different people and hospital rooms visited everything from birth to death and baptisms celebrated and weddings and funerals preached and countless kids born and dedicated and graduated and we've done a tremendous amount of service as a church that I'm so proud of and thankful for and there are lives I pray I hope are impacted and changed but you look back over that time and I would be lying if I said there there weren't there, there aren't some things that you know I'm not totally proud of for example this may be a weird time to make a confession but almost at the beginning of my relationship with Dr. Kent Westbrook I lied Kent it's time for me to tell you that right here where I'm on my way out. I lied. In fact, I lied a couple of times to you. It was on a visit where it was an interview visit, and I preached on a Wednesday night. And then afterward, Kent came to me, and he said, I thought that I would take you fishing in the morning. How does that sound? And I said, that sounds wonderful. And I lied, Kent. Right at the beginning of our relationship, I lied. You all have heard me confess. I don't think fishing is wonderful. It's wonderful for you if you love to fish, but I don't love to fish. I love to be with people who love to fish. I'll, I'll watch you as you fish, but I don't love to fish. I lied. And that wasn't the only one, Dr. Westbrook, and I apologize for that. Because after that, then he said, I'm thinking about picking you up at 5.15 to 5.30. How does that sound? And I said, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and I lied a second time. Right there before I was even hired. Just one right after the other. For all the things that we regret, and all the things we relish, we rest in this. The light of God resides in our hearts. Treasure is entrusted, not just to me, but to you and the church in vessels that are beautiful but breakable fearfully fearfully and wonderfully made but made not the maker and in this we show it's never just us 
It is God in us. To God be the glory.